Welcome to the HR Lounge. Sit back and listen in as Diane and I interview HR professionals from all walks in life. We'll be exploring all things HR related. You know the ones, those deep and sometimes uncomfortable conversations that should take place, but unfortunately never really happen. Enjoy your time with us in the HR Lounge. Hello and welcome to the HR Lounge. Today's guest is Bernadette Thompson, Deputy Director in the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. Welcome, Bernadette. Hi, Bernadette. I'm really, really grateful that you um, came to our podcast today because I know that you're going to share with us lots of information. So welcome. So uh, I just wanted to start off by saying where we met. We have not met face to face. However, we did meet via Twitter um, and we tend to like lots of the things that I was saying you were liking and vice versa. And I, I just felt that there was a connection there. And also it was wonderful to find out that you were following me um, with the SLSP Pay Gap campaign, which is really, really lovely to hear. And um, Jacqueline, I know your um, connection with Bernadette has been Because I've not... I'd not met Bernadette, so I'm really happy that we've managed to connect on LinkedIn, but also meet as well. Wonderful. So, so let's kick off by um, really just talking about your your career journey. So, you know, where you started and, and how you, you've gone through your career. Thank you, ladies. Really pleased to be here. And I think it's amazing when we talk about um, some of the stuff that happened during the pandemic. Um, meeting people, connecting people. Um, LinkedIn became that big connector where, you know, chilling out and having a, a coffee or a chat with someone face to face. Well, that was, that was, um, it couldn't happen anymore. So LinkedIn was a uh, place to kind of hook up. And I think we, we, we uh, most people have made the most of it. So with regards to so. Um, my early career um, wasn't in HR, I think it's fair to say. It was in debt recovery. And when I say this, a lot of people kind of raise their eyebrows. Oh, gosh, debt recovery. You can't be I am a nice person. I absolutely am a nice person. But um, uh, it, it was fun working in debt recovery. So the first half of my um, career was debt management, debt recovery. Um, if we remember the old poll tax, council tax. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> I, was, I was part of that mob. Um, but then I decided to kind of um, move from making people cry to making people smile and um, work with people. And that came from, you know, strong values that I've always had, um, even when I was a young person at uni, um, access to justice, making sure people had uh, were treated fairly, people were treated with dignity and respect, and just making sure generally people's experiences in life, whether they're students, um, whether in the workplace, that people just are treated with dignity and respect and have equal and fair access to opportunities. So I kind of found, um, whilst I was doing a fantastic job um, in my role as um, running the debt operation and the legal aid agency, I had more fulfillment from um, the kind of coaching, the mentoring conversations, enabling people to be the best that they can be at work. And I just knew that, mm, gosh, I really need to do something about this. So uh, I paid for my own HR qualification. That's kind of a lesson. I remember at the time speaking to my line manager to say, look, I really want to kind of go into HR. 
um, you know, um, I want to do this uh, CIPD qualification. Uh, can you fund it? <laughs> and they laugh. And they laugh. And they laugh. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you can tell us what HR has to do with debt recovery, then maybe. So I had to fund it myself, and I think that's a lesson for everyone. Look, sometimes you need to invest yeah. in where you want to get to. But you know, ever yeah. since I did the same. Yeah. Ever yeah. since then, I have never paid for any other HR course or qualification that I, I've acquired during that time. And I, and I just did that. But another thing I remember having that conversation or the suggestion, oh, why don't you become a trade union rep? Albeit you're the other side of the table, but you still get, you know, that mirror interaction with um, HR. Um, and I did that as well. Whether or not that was a good move, I'm not too sure from an organizational perspective, <laughs> because um, a lot of HR um, um, uh, teams don't have good relationships. <laughs> they have a difficult relationship with their trade unions which shouldn't it shouldn't be the case because again unions are there to make sure people have uh, fair outcomes within the workplace so um yeah that was how i i kind of transitioned to the hr profession did the qualification and then the next thing for me was well you need to find a role kind of not working having the hr qualification trying to volunteer and put myself forward for a lot of the kind of HR related product, uh, projects within uh, debt management. So I started at a time when the department or yeah, directorate was going through a restructure as we do in the public sector and looking for a role within HR. Again, one of the caveats there, I was very focused on the fact that I will not take a pay cut. I will have to find a role that I can kind of slide into sideways. Um, and at this time, um, in diversity and inclusion, or as we called it, equality and diversity at the time. Um, you know, the Equalities Act 2010. Um, I remember during uh, that time, I got involved with doing some stuff around bullying and harassment. So I saw this role, it was to for maternity cover um, for someone, um, and it was in diversity and inclusion. And diversity and inclusion, or equality and diversity, sorry, sat in internal comms. It wasn't yet part of the HR profession. So I thought it would be a good segue into doing some people related stuff, which chimed with my values, which is making sure people have fair and equal access to opportunities within the workplace. Applied for the job, uh, I got the job and um, haven't left HR ever since. So um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Bernadette. And I know Diane and I, we we can totally, totally relate to your journey because I remember wanting to get into HR and I sort of like I funded my own development. And you have to if you if you want to move into an area that you're passionate about. So I I you know, I commend you and I commend us as well, because it's it's not an easy road and the transition is never going to sort of ensure that we have a smooth pathway. It's always going to be bumps and, you know, challenges along the way. So, I mean, how how did you find the transition? You know, were there were there some real challenges that made you stop and think about am I doing the right thing or you know, where you sort of like blinkered and said, nope, I want to go into it. This is my passion. This is where I want to be. Yeah, um, really good question. So um, I think 
really being resolute on I'm not taking a pay cut. That was one thing. But I think having a mentor, so I remember I, got, I had a mentor and I said, um, I really want to get into HR. And she said, well, what bit of HR? And I'm like, okay, I need to go and do some homework. So doing some homework and trying to find out, okay, which bits of HR do I want to get into? I think it's really useful in 2018, um, I'll give a shout out to Peter Cheese, who's the chief exec of, the, of CIPD, and the refreshed uh, professions map, which actually brought DNI to be one of the roles um, on the HR of the professions wheel. And they brought um, DNI into the HR profession. So that really did help. So. Um, I think that happened halfway through my second post in leading diversity and inclusion, and it really did help. Um, I think um, people like me who were in DNI, who were kind of on the peripheral of um, the HR profession, you, you know, were brought within the fold. So that really did help. I think another, um, again, the transition to me, I was really fortunate to um, have a six month stint with the chief people officer of the civil service, Rupert McNeil. And he really did take me through my paces with having discussions around um, several areas of the um, HR profession. Um, one of the things um, that you know, we discussed and determined that I would need to have a um, take up a role as an HR business partner, which I did. But I think that's important to actually understand the key functions and the mechanics of the HR professions and how everything sits together to help support um, an organization. So anyone who wants to transition, you know, having a mentor within the HR profession is absolutely critical. And they will challenge you and they will stretch you. And I remember um, having some really difficult conversations with Rupert who had made me read some stuff, made me read some research and having those conversations. And okay, so what would you do? This is scenario, this is situation. So really making sure that you understand the key elements and you know, there are different aspects of HR. And I, you know, for me, I made up my mind really quickly, which ones I was interested in and which one that I wasn't going to touch. Pay and reward was one thing. I'm like, oh gosh, I like the reward. Same here. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, um, HR business partnering, I, 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 I did it, but it, you know, for me, um, it, it wasn't the one for me. So talent management, learning um, and development, anything that revolved around cultural change, um, uh, well-being, so all of that, mm. but I did, make sure as an individual to go to all those um, different elements of the uh, HR profession to kind of shadow people. So shadowed HR policies, shadowed pay and reward, mm. just to get a better understanding of all the different aspects, but really being clear on these, you know, I would probably be an expert in these particular fields. I would not want to be an HR generalist, no. No, thank right. you. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't really keen on, on the generalist side of things or, or pay yeah. reward. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, because it resonates <laughs> with me totally. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, it, I was going to ask you a question, but I think in a way that you sort of answered it. But I wanted to find out, because obviously you were saying to, to us that um, DNI was sort of new um, when you moved into it. Could you talk, tell us about what it looked like you know, to work within a new environment. How did that feel? What was the look of it? And, and the touch thing you felt that you needed to do? So I think that the, the, 
A lot of the work within diversity and inclusion evolved from the Equalities Act 2010, and that's where we started getting some traction and some conversation about, well, what, what does this mean and how can we make sure within the workplace that people are not discriminated against because of this, that and the other. And then it came at a time within the civil service where um, late um, Jeremy Haywood really put a focus, turned up the dial on uh, diversity and inclusion and made it one of the top three priorities within the civil service. So we started getting a lot of traction across the business to say, okay, what does it mean to have diverse outcomes? How are we going to demonstrate that we're making progress? Like when we talk about digital, commercial, finance, some of the other professions, how can we make sure for diversity and inclusion? What does that mean? Um, and this is where we started getting a bit more data savvy uh, with regard to diversity and inclusion. Okay, so better outcomes um, for people could link to them staying longer within the organization, employee engagement could link to them thriving in the organization, well-being and all of that, but could link to them actually staying and progressing in the organization. And this is where a lot of emphasis started being made on um, representation. We started looking at the data. We started splitting it down by those diversity characteristics. What is the representation? And this is where the conversation started to emerge around, okay. So it seemed that the pattern, the bottom bit of the organization looks like this. The more senior roles within the organization, the representation looks like this. There's a problem. We need to start unpacking it. And this was how it evolved. Um, and we started seeing, a real focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, I think definitely in the last two years, it's really exploded. And I think the private sector has really got a grip on some of this and are really championing, in, um, championing this. Within the civil service, public sector, um, th there's more work that all of us can do when we talk about representation. It's all about the lived experience. And I think definitely, um, the profession now is speaking about belonging. Okay, down equality, we kind of equality, we, we understand this diversity and inclusion, but do people actually feel that they belong in that organization mm. and that they can thrive, they can be themselves and they have a voice. Yeah. So we're really continuing to evolve um, the profession from equality, diversity, inclusion, belonging, to really say, this is about the lived experiences of a human in your organization. It's not about the percentages. It's not about the number. It's about how people feel. And for me, that's what it is. Um, and that's why it's so important to me. We spend a lot of time within the workplace. I always say my quest is to make sure people are happy. And it's a really hard ask sometimes. And I always say, I'm not saying that people should hold hands singing Kumbaya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you give your best, you know, you've got, equal access to opportunity and you're not discriminated by any characteristics so for me that is how it's kind of evolved and I you know even though I'll say oh I'm going to try and do something different I get pulled back into you know focus yeah. well I mean one of the things you just said there I you know it, it, it's absolutely right it's, it, it really is about being a decent human being everybody being decent human beings that's it 
you know, we don't all have to hold strings mm. or, mm. as you said, say, sing kumbaya. It's not about that. It's about... Although it would be interesting if you did have worship once a week. <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's another story altogether. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it is about um, respect and, and valuing others. So, you, you know, you're yeah. totally spot on about that. Yeah, no, I, I concur. Inclusivity in the workplace, especially in the arena that you're working in, is paramount for progression. And there are different ways in which, you know, you can make a difference, not only for yourself, your teams, but the, the wider workforce and the organisational goals and objectives. Um, just curious, is there a specific strategy that you put in place that really sets the ball rolling, you know, to, to enable and empower and motivate people to actually feel as if they belong or feel included in the organisational infrastructure? I'd love to uh, um, talk about my most recent strategy within my, my department. So we refreshed and launched our diversity strategy a couple of weeks, is it a couple of weeks ago? It is a couple of weeks ago. And uh, our strap line is we are for everyone. And, and, and that's just what we want our organization to be, a place where anyone uh, can thrive, but also the fact that everyone has a part of shaping that. It is not the team's work. My team cannot deliver this utopia of having that inclusive culture. But that's our mantra, we are for everyone. And what we specifically did was focus on three areas, which encompasses the employee experience. So um, bringing in diverse talent. So we've got three pillars. If you think of a house, our roof is, um, we are for everyone, but the pillars that it's holding that together, bringing in diverse talent, that's one pillar. The second pillar is to bring on diverse talent, so they come in, how are we making sure they're thriving and being brought on within the organization, making sure that they're progressing. And the third pillar is about inclusive culture. How are we making sure that we are setting uh, the right recipe um, for people to thrive within the workplace? And the foundations of that house, if you, if you think about it like that, is built on um, fairness and equity but also the action that we take is led by our data. So it's been data-driven and evidence-based. At the end of the day, why, why would you focus on something? Because the data shows us these particular groups um, um, are showing you know, different outcomes than the rest of the group. So we, you know, there are inequalities in these particular groups. That's why we need to focus on them. So that is a kind of our uh, diversity house, if you may, and that was the kind of um, focus of our strategy. And it, you know, really looking at our employee life cycle. When people come into an organization, they're recruited. Now, first of all, you attract them. What does our attraction strategy looks, uh, look like? When you pick up our brochure, you know, uh, does it put people off when they start reading it? Do the graphics put people off? Does it put certain groups off? So you think about when you want to bring people in, where are we going to attract people? Are we using the same old systems? But that's the first aspect. Um, then they come in induction. What, what does our, you know, what does our induction consist of? You know, are we talking about DNI from the onset? Um, so our corporate induction, for, for example, someone in my team goes to every corporate induction to make sure we start, you know, we have that early conversation about this is the department, we are for everyone, this is how you can get involved in um, diversity and inclusion. 
And then you think about the recruitment, the process, diverse panels, are the panels diverse? Do we have a good gender balance? From a kind of visual point of view, is it ethnically diverse? Do you think about that? How are we sifting? Are the sifting panel diverse? I know at the civil service, we're not talking about unconscious bias training, but are we mindful of our biases and the impact it could have on the outcomes? So making sure that we're having conversations about all of that, and also really looking at the data of um, across the employee life cycle. So within my organization, we have monthly data packs, looking at um, different areas across the employee life, uh, life cycle. So looking at L&D, that they have any inequality, unequal outcomes to particular groups, looking at performance and development, um, looking at appraisals, um, looking at temporary responsibilities, looking at recruitment. So we're looking at that data on a regular basis to see what are the inequalities and what can we do more importantly to address them and how can we hold ourselves to account. So our strategy is for four years, um, we will be focused on uh, focusing on this, but I think it's really important for organizations to understand that until equality and diversity becomes a business-owned problem, we cannot make progress. It is not the job of a small central team to create this land of utopia in anything that we do. So one of the elements we introduced in our strategy um, is about diversity in our policy making. How are we making sure that it's that golden thread that goes through our policy making so that when our policy lands on uh, the diverse citizens that we have, we have great outcomes because UK PLC is diverse. So in our policy making, we need to make sure that we're taking into account the views and lived experiences of the diverse population. So there's quite a lot to make sure that it's part of the business. It's not just my team banging on the drum. The business needs to think of it, needs to think about how they can create those uh, diverse outcomes. So that's that's a strategy that I'm excited. We refreshed and launched a couple of weeks, four years. Um, let's, we need to make progress. Well, that's, wow, fanta that's, that's absolutely fantastic. fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I, I would actually... Yeah, I'd actually say, you know, whilst you were talking, thank you so much for sharing. So much is packed into to that strategy. And I would say the first thing that came to mind was that this is an emotionally intelligent driven strategy, hearts and minds. And it's about, you know, the inclusivity encompassing everything. So, oh, four years, it'll go like no, no one's business. But I'm sure that you will see the the return on the investment yeah. in that strategy yeah. in in the people and the good thing about it, if i may the good thing about it with our strategy i mean we've got everyone involved our, our permanent secretary and executive team are absolutely brilliant behind it we've got our minister i'll give him a, um, a call out minister hughes who wrote um the forward and was actually part of um the disability um, discussion that we had. Let's talk about uh, disability as one of the events that we had this week. He's our ministerial disability champion. And, you know, you really do need the top down. You need leaders to Absolutely. talk about and push this up from the front. Absolutely. And that will enable the bottom up to people to feel that, okay, it's all right to have discussions. It's all right to push back. It's all right to challenge on some of these things. So it's an exciting time. Absolutely. And one of the things you, you were mentioned about um, looking at your biases, which is so in keeping with what we do um, as our consultancy, Synergy Solutions, we designed a programme and it, it's called 
transforming bias change program because we we can see that it is the biases that need to change and that needs to be challenged and you know bravo to you guys for seeing that and working towards that because that's excellent absolutely excellent so uh my next question for you really i would like to say you know in your opinion do you think it is um better for dni to be a standalone or to work within a hr department my personal my personal view is that it should be part of hr um you know because at the end of the day it's about people um but i know others have other um, views on that so what's your view so my view is that it depends on the maturity of the organization and this is where people get it wrong because they hear one organization has gone down this route oh they've taken dni and put it outside okay maybe we should do the same thing you'll get a different outcome it depends on the maturity of your organization for some organization they're mature enough to drive that within the business but for the majority of the organization that I've certainly worked with and um, had some interaction with it still needs to have that central team of the focus driving it through the business and making sure that they're, they're constantly holding the business to account because what happens if the organization is not mature you kind of have a DNI team outside of HR who are trying to work with the business to do stuff. It just, it doesn't work. You don't get the same outcomes. But for me, wherever it sits, there has to be that governance. There has to be that accountability. There has to be that data and that evidence. You said you wanted to do this. Yeah, exactly. Have we achieved it? If not, why? What are the data telling us? Otherwise, it's, 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 um, it's just like marking time. You know, it's just like, you know, you're just marking time on the same spot. And sometimes yeah. you begin to backslide because people just forget. They talk about everything else. And, you know, maybe a month later, oh, God, oh, that, oh, diversity. What did we say we were doing? So it needs to be that steady drumbeat going on. And that is where the central teams in organizations. So for instance, my team, I had a, just before coming into this podcast, kind of had a conversation to say, look, guys, we've launched a strategy. We now need to continue to crack the whip and how are we going to continue to crack the whip at uh, the whip on a regular basis we will have meetings with people to say you said you were going to do this we want to update we own the strategy and then making sure we oversee that it's delivered but we don't do the doing but what we do is that governance that accountability and then putting it all together to say this is where we are. So it depends on the maturity of the organization, I would say. And you're right, Diane, at the end of the day, it's about people. Let's get this right. People are make the organizations work. So if people don't feel they're supported, if people don't feel they thrive, it all goes down to that employee engagement, then the motivation will dip, then sickness goes up and then churn, people just leave. So all of this is, you know, if, if organizations think about the people first, and you mentioned, um, Jackie, um, emotional intelligence, all of this will come. At the end of the day, um, what we do, it's, it's, it's the people that keeps the organization running. Totally. Totally. Absolutely, absolutely. They they are the workforce are the organization. And and um I when I when I actually do any training, I, I liken it to cogs in a machine. And and I, I encourage everyone to 
to walk around with their WD-40 so that they can continue oiling their clogs. Because yeah. if it goes stuck in one area, it impacts the rest of Absolutely. it, you know? Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That is fantastic. Yeah. And, and your strategy and your approach is so, so welcoming because there's not many, not many organizations that Diane and I have spoken to that have got such an infrastructure in place and a mindset and, and the, the will to sort of push it forwards, keep doing that temperature check, keep keeping people to account, because accountability, that, that's what we found, especially within the pandemic. There's so many things that have been hidden under the surface that have come to light. And it's like fighting fires. But what you want is for organizations to actually progress, you need to be transparent. You need to be accountable. You need to be inclusive and, and equitable. You need to have that equitable platform and I think what you're doing is fantastic you know it really warms the cockles of my heart as an <laughs> HR professional you know individual as well as well it does with you Diane yeah absolutely we were grinning while yeah you know while we heard you lots speaking. of nodding of heads going yeah oh <laughs> yes. absolutely yeah. absolutely <laughs> so Bernadette tell us I'm really curious and I know Diane is What's next for you? Oh dear. What's next? I don't know. I don't know. What's next? Okay. It's a really interesting question. A lot of people, a lot of people asked me this. So um, earlier this year, you know, last month, last month, I was really, really blessed to, to get an OBE for services to diversity and inclusion, which is great. And I'm like, it's just given me a bigger platform to talk about of all course. this stuff and drive for change. Um, someone asked me the question the other day, are you going to go into politics? I'm like, no, politics is a dirty game, not going into politics. So uh, I, I, I think um, I, I, um, I will work some more in the public sector. Mm. I, I'll probably look to do some work outside of the civil service. I'm, I'm looking at places like the NS, NHS and places, yeah. <laughs> places where I can, I can go in and help to make a change. But you know, you never, you, you, you never know, you never know. My son's taking his GCSEs next year. So he, I, I'm going to be in a bit of a, a kind of um, paused state career-wise to make sure I get him through. For those of you that have sons taking GCSEs, uh, God help us all. My daughter was, um, uh, this is the, uh, the beauty of diversity and inclusion. Um, my daughter, I didn't need to keep much of a BDI on her. Uh, this. This boy of mine needs need more eyes. So I won't, I won't, be, doing, I won't be doing much um, career-wise for a while. But I'll tell you something, what next, what I'm looking forward to in 2022. Um, I used to be an, um, an athlete. I used to be a long-distance runner. I don't do that anymore. I leave it through my children. But I am a, an official, and I'm always involved in, in athletic meets again. So I was again making the 2012 Olympics. I'm looking forward to, I was a, um, a, a runner, I think not a proper runner, they called it the volunteers runners in the 2017 World Athletics. And I'm looking forward to Bromley 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. I'm looking forward to being chosen, hopefully fingers crossed, and a volunteer. So, um, and then GCSE year as well. So 2022, just being a volunteer, getting by my son GCSE, and then we'll see. We'll see. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's great. And, and congratulations on your OBE. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a new name. Somebody gave, um, I'll give him a shout out. Sean gave a new name for the OBE. 
She said, outstanding black empress, and I'm taking Oh, lovely. Love it, love yeah, it. Love we it. love that, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, if only, definitely. If only they would change it to that, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> work in progress, yeah. work in progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, what you've shared here today is amazing. And, you know, your determination to do something and to make a difference is um, is clear to me and clear to Jacqueline and will be clear to the people listening to this. So, you know, I would just say, keep on keeping on. And no matter, even though you're saying you're going to take a break to support your child, which also is fantastic. Um, I know that, you know, people will be still doing things that you have put in place. So, you know, your legacy is still there whilst you're not, you're going to be slightly away from it. So, you know, don't worry. <laughs> you know, people will still have your name on, on their lips because obviously you are trying to do or you are doing things that are going to make a difference so hello to you and i'd like to just say thank you again for joining us on this podcast um because i think the listeners are going to really love it so thank you oh absolutely thank you so much bernadette passion abounds that's all i can say thank you for the taking the time out to actually join us and sit down and have this wonderful conversation and share insights into your world and your arena thank you so much uh, thank you lady it's been absolutely brilliant and i'm sure when uh, the restrictions are lifted we can have a good old face-to-face catch-up coffee at some point definitely oh, oh look my forward definitely. to it look really forward, forward to, to it that. thank you Thank you for listening to the HR Lounge. We hope you find our podcast insightful. Join us next time for more thoughtful discussion. And remember, you have the power to make a difference.